This Moment Outdoors is brought to you by L.L. Bean, official partner of the National Parks Foundation for the Find Your Park movement. Situated along the shores of St. Augustine in northeastern Florida stands the only surviving 17th century military construction in the United States, Castillo de San Marcos. A product of forces both political and technological, the fortress is evidence of empirical competition that defined so much of the colonial era. Its history is woven into the fabric of America. On this episode of America's National Parks, the many faces of Castillo de San Marcos National Monument, as told by the rangers who preserve and protect this historic fort. In 1673, Manuel Sindosha had arrived in St. Augustine at one of a series of wooden forts that had been destroyed and rebuilt many times over. He was charged by Mariana, Queen of Spain, to repair the fortifications of St. Augustine. The wooden structure was in a dilapidated condition. St. Augustine was an outpost that indirectly defended the Spanish Caribbean and New Spain, but it was never self-sufficient. The viceroy of New Spain, which is Mexico today, was supposed to send a subsidy from his coffers each year to support the garrison in town. However, for many years, this subsidy never came. The people of St. Augustine were close to starving, and there were no funds to repair the old fort. Back in 1668, a pirate ship, under disguise, penetrated St. Augustine's meager defenses. In the confused darkness, the pirates seemed everywhere as they stormed ashore. The governor and a meager handful of soldiers were able to take refuge in the wooden fort. Others ran into the woods as the pirates systematically sacked the town. By the time the pirates left the next day, 60 people were dead. The sack of St. Augustine was a blessing in disguise for it shocked Spanish officials into action. The governor of Cuba, as well as the viceroy of New Spain, finally sent money and troops to bring St. Augustine up to strength. Back in Spain, Queen Mariana commanded the viceroy to pay the Florida funds on time and ordered a permanent fortress and to support a full 300-man garrison in Florida. Meanwhile, the governor's tenure in Florida was ending, and the queen appointed Manuel Sindosha to the governorship. Arriving in Veracruz, Sindosha proceeded to Mexico City to confer with the viceroy. He asked for 30,000 pesos for the construction of one main and two auxiliary fortifications. The General Council of Finance discussed the matter and allowed Sindosha only 12,000 pesos to begin construction of just one fort. If suitable progress was made, they would consider sending 10,000 pesos yearly until completion. On assuming the governorship, he moved promptly on the matter of fortifications. For more on the pirate-influenced design, here's Ranger Alan Arnold. One of the most frequently asked questions we get here at the Castillo is, why here? 
Well, the Castillo de San Marcos is built on prime real estate. The reason being is what's just off the coast. Those Spanish galleons loaded with gold, silver, and spices from South America and the Caribbean left from Havana, Cuba, and made their way up the Gulf Stream. Now, that Gulf Stream is moving at three to five miles an hour, but it is very narrow along the Bahama Channel. Now, that makes it prime territory for pirates. The first pirate attack in St. Augustine was in 1586 by Francis Drake, his 42 ships, and 2,000 men. Now this way outnumbered the Spanish here in St. Augustine, so they did what they could. They buried their cannon and they ran off into the woods. But they did so in such a hurry that they forgot about the king's coffer, their treasury, their pay, leaving it behind. Now after Drake had done what he wanted to, not finding much in the way of valuables, burning the city, he left St. Augustine. The next pirate attack happened in 1668 and this was Robert Searles. He only came in with about 100 people, but St. Augustine really didn't have the defenses that it needed. So Robert Searle, after having his way with the city, had left it almost untouched. After these pirate attacks and several other attempts, St. Augustine realized the need for a strong masonry fortification. After the 1702 siege, St. Augustine's defenses would be upgraded. The Kubo Line, a wall protecting the north of St. Augustine, would be built out of palm logs and would have a small ditch. Another wall would be built along the San Sebastian River, and that would protect the western side of the city. The next defensive feature of the Castillo would be the Glacis, a gently sloping hill surrounding the fort. Now this hill does several different things. It keeps the base of the walls out of the line of fire. It also provides cover and concealment for Spanish troops maneuvering around outside of the fort. If you've made it this far, the next thing you have to deal with is the moat. Now, unlike many of the other moats you may see, ours is meant to be dry. You would think that being up against the walls of the Castillo would give you some sort of cover, but it doesn't. The Spanish thought about that and the shape of this fort means no blind spots. Once all these individual defenses were brought together, the Presidio of St. Augustine never fell. The fort itself was constructed of a unique material that has ensured its survival over the last 350 years. Here's Ranger Jill Leverett. Castillo de San Marcos was built entirely of a stone called coquina. In fact, it is the only local stone we have here in St. Augustine. Coquina is a sedimentary stone that's formed when seashells are compressed together underground for hundreds of thousands of years. Carbonic acid leaches through the ground down into the seashells, leaches calcium out of the shells, and that begins to bond it together into a stone. The stone is very porous, so when it is first quarried, it has a lot of moisture in it. The Spanish would quarry the stone on Anastasia Island, bring the blocks across the Matanzas River on barges to the workyard of the Castillo, which was about where our parking lot is today. The slabs would sit out in the sun for six months to a year to dry out all that moisture, and then the masons would chop it down into smaller, more manageable building blocks and build the Castillo. Now, because coquina is a very porous stone, it had to be plastered to waterproof it. The Spanish plastered the Castillo inside and out to waterproof the stone. But that disadvantage of the porousness is also an advantage because when you fire cannonballs into a thick wall of coquina, instead of shattering under the impact, 
it compresses like you're shooting BBs into styrofoam. You get a cannonball-sized hole that's less than two feet deep. And because the walls of the Castillo are anywhere from nine to 18 feet thick, less than two feet of damage was not a big deal. Coquina was used because it was the only local stone available to build a permanent fortress, but it turned out to be the best thing they could have used to stand up to cannon fire. When Britain gained control of Florida in 1763, St. Augustine became the capital of British East Florida, and the fort was renamed Fort St. Mark. Until the Peace of Paris, when Florida was transferred back to Spain and the original name was restored. Spain ceded Florida to the United States in 1821, who designated it an army base named Fort Marion in honor of American Revolutionary War hero Francis Marion. Over the decades, coastal forts have been used for many purposes, one of the most nefarious being prisons for Native Americans. Fort Marion was used to incarcerate Plains Indians, Geronimo's Apache, and most notably, 200 Seminole, 20 of whom escaped. Here's Ranger Jill Leverett again. In October of 1837, about two years into the Second Seminole War, the U.S. Army captured Osceola and about 200 other Seminole Indians just west of St. Augustine under a flag of truce and brought them here to Castillo de San Marcos, which was then known as Fort Marion, and held them as prisoners of war. About a month after their incarceration began, there was an escape. Another warrior named Kawakachi, or Wildcat as he was known in English, led 19 others in an escape from Fort Marion. And that's about all we know for sure. The details of the escape are very fuzzy. The most popular legends have it that the Seminoles starved themselves until they were thin enough to squeeze out the little windows on the western side of the fort. However, the army records do not specify exactly which room they were held in or escaped from, and they don't say how they got out. We do know that the fact that they escaped was much more important than how. Kawakuchi resurfaced, fighting the U.S. Army a couple months later, and he was a very important leader throughout the rest of the Second Seminole War, which would drag on for another five years. And, according to Chief Justice Willie Johns of today's Seminole Tribe of Florida, most of the Seminoles still living in Florida today trace their heritage back to those 20 Seminoles who escaped from Fort Marion in 1837. So the details of how they got out really are not as important as the fact that they did, because that escape had a huge impact on the future of the entire Seminole tribe of Florida. Today, the St. Augustine area is a haven for recreation, especially golf, featuring several championship courses. But the first golf course in the state of Florida was carved right into the grounds of the fort. Jim Purdy, Park Interpreter. The first documented mention of golf in St. Augustine was in 1893. Henry Lillywhite, tennis court manager at the Alcazar Hotel owned by Henry Flagler, described the game of golf to Captain Henry Marcotte. Captain Marcotte was the St. Augustine reporter for the Florida Times Union, the largest newspaper in the state at the time, and to his wife Anne, who was the editor of the St. Augustine News and a weekly publication called The Tatler which was a society page for St. Augustine's Northern visitors. It was Mrs. Marcotte who sounded the call for a new golf club in St. Augustine. Problem was, there were no open fields in St. Augustine near the Flagler hotels on which to develop the golf course. The answer came when the U.S. Army gave permission to lay out golf links on the green surrounding Fort Marion, today's Castillo de San Marcos. 
The course opened February 27, 1895. Three fairways formed a triangle around the fort. Each fairway had a name. One was the San Marco, then there was the Fort Marion, and finally the Palmetto. The course itself was called Fort Green. Each hole was played three times for a round of nine holes of golf. Each of the three teeing areas was made of white sand. The total length of the course was approximately 1,900 yards, the approximate length of what today would be a nine-hole par three course if played from the ladies' tee. Although historically the moat around the fort had been a dry moat, it was filled with water during the golf course years. Unfortunately, this undermined the foundation of the fort and caused significant cracks and other damage to the structure. The ground around the fort was also built on a slant called a glacis. The glacis was a line of defense for the fort put in by the Spanish during the first Spanish period in St. Augustine. When it became a golf course, the glacis was a natural hazard for the golf course, requiring a club called a lofter to pitch out onto the fairway. Initially, the golf club had 200 members and 70 of them were women. Admission to the club cost 50 cents and to become a member, you had to be recommended by another member. Charter members included Mr. and Mrs. Harry Harkness Flagler, who was the son of Henry Flagler. In one of the early tournaments at the fort, the winner was a railroad man named John McLennan, who won with a score of 53. Obviously, the skills and clubs of the early players were not what they are today. After the San Marco Hotel burned down in 1897, the course expanded across San Marco Avenue to where the hotel stood and where the parking garage and Francis Field are today. The fort course remained popular even after the modern 18-hole Ponce de Leon links opened north of the city. The St. Augustine Evening Record of April 14, 1925 reported that the St. Augustine Golf Club had discontinued the use of the fort course. It had lasted 30 years. The course was not making enough money and too many tourists to the fort were walking in the area of the course. The fort was declared a national monument in 1924 and after 251 years of continuous military possession was deactivated in 1933. The 20-acre site was subsequently turned over to the National Park Service. In 1942, the original name Castillo de San Marcos was restored by an act of Congress. Castillo de San Marcos is the oldest and largest masonry fort in the continental United States. It's open every day except Thanksgiving and Christmas. All visitors must exit the Castillo no later than 5.15 p.m. Tickets are required and can be purchased in advance online. The city of St. Augustine operates a pay parking lot that can accommodate vehicles up to 21 feet. A free parking lot for larger vehicles is available a few blocks away. It's also worth noting that as this episode airs, the monument is closed in preparation for Hurricane Dorian, which only recently received Category 5 status. We are all keeping those in the path of this storm in our thoughts. This episode of America's National Parks was written by Jason Epperson and features rangers from Castillo de San Marcos. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search National Park Podcast. You can also join our America's National Parks Facebook group. We'll link to all our social media 
in the show notes at nationalparkpodcast.com. If you are interested in RV travel, give us a listen over at the RV Miles podcast. You can also follow Jason and me as we travel the country with our three boys at ourwanderingfamily.com. This land is your land. This land is my land. From California to the New York Island. From the Redwood Forest to the Gulf Stream waters. This land was made for you and me. Today's show was sponsored by L.L. Bean. Follow the hashtag BeAnOutsider and visit LLBean.com to find great gear for exploring the national parks. <laughs>